there and welcome to another episode of Murray Musings, your number one Andy Murray podcast. In fact, it's the only Andy Murray podcast, which is both a blessing for us and a travesty because we believe there should be many more podcasts talking about Andy Murray. I'm here with my co-hosts Scott and Peter and we're excited to introduce a very special guest, David Samuel, coach of Andy Murray's prankster nemesis and now doubles partner, but we'll come back to that later, Liam Brodie. David, I think you stumbled across Murray Musings recently following our interview with the wonderful Mike Cation, where we chatted about his friendship with Liam. So I'm glad that our chat there hasn't scared you off. Welcome to Murray Musings HQ. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Uh, Yeah, and uh, contrary to scaring me off, it intrigues me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what we like to hear oh dear um so yeah david um thank um thank you so much for uh for for dropping in um we do have quite a few questions to get through um but we'll uh we'll try and keep them to a minimum because obviously um in probably about an hour or so um andy and liam are going to be stepping on the court in rome to play doubles together so um yeah we're going to try and keep it to to, to about to about 45 minutes to an hour or so so to make sure that you get to watch that and we do too so um um, so yeah we're very excited to have you on the show but we always ask um every single one of our guests that we have in murray musings hq um about their kind of origin stories and how they got their uh, how they got their start in tennis and like you know was tennis like an early love for you and how 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 you come to be a a tennis coach now if if that's all right if you want to share your story with us yeah sure uh do you want a deep and brief or (laughs) whatever whatever you fancy Uh, whatever you fancy giving us (laughs) so yeah i mean i actually don't remember not being able to hit a tennis ball so i grew up in south africa and we had a, a tennis court uh, in our backyard. And uh, that was not actually that in, unusual in South Africa. Uh, the weather is great, so it's very easy to play sport. And uh, my mother was a, a keen tennis player and uh, my older sisters uh, played. So I just remember as a tot being on the tennis court, hitting against the fence, uh, and then, uh, you know, just being on a tennis court and then when that, they freed it up, I'd hit against the wall and yeah, just always played tennis. And then when I started playing, I remember my first junior tournament, I was probably about eight years old and I got absolutely stuffed by a guy called Carsten Pop, who was <laughs> a, 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 a German living in South Africa who beat me uh, six love and uh, I was a, a little bit upset, but also I'd been excited to play. Didn't realize that there were good players out there. <laughs> and, uh, and then just steadily got better. And, and interesting by the time I was sort of 11 years old, uh, I, I played him again and, and beat him six love. So I'd had a dramatic improvement and he hadn't improved that much at all. Uh, and yeah, and by, by the time I was, you know, 12 years old, I was, you know, one of the best 12 year olds in the country and, uh, one of the better, you know, top 10, 14 year olds. And then I played a lot of cricket as well. And, uh, this is ironic. When I was 15, I played, uh, South African schools cricket and, uh, 
and came back from from a tour and sat down with my my parents and we were talking about because tennis my tennis wasn't going as well as it had been but I had, you know was obviously top 10 in South Africa and obviously the cricket was going well and we discussed about you know playing cricket or tennis and uh, my mother said to me she said look if you play tennis you can get a scholarship and go to an American university if you play cricket in order to make a living you're going to have to play county cricket in England and you don't want to live in that shit country mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow well, I like your mum <laughs> Ironically, that's where I live. <laughs> uh, so I, I carried on playing tennis and uh, I still played cricket, but tennis started to take more of a priority and uh, uh, got a scholarship to America as you know, I was recruited by Kevin Curran, who was South African, who was playing for Texas. And in his, his last year was my first year there and uh, had a decent college career. Uh, and uh, after that, played pro, realized that the only way to make money was to come and play in Europe because the States at that time was either a lot of, uh, a lot more uh, higher level pro tournaments, not that many satellites, which were brutal. Uh, five, in those days, you had to play four weeks and then a, uh, a master's week in order to get points. Eventually, after I had finished playing, they changed it to four weeks and then they went to futures. Uh, but, it, it, you know, playing five weeks uh, in order to get your ATP points was uh, was was very tough. Um, and in Europe, they had obviously lots of money tournaments in, in, in France. Belgium was a happy hunting ground for me and a little less in Germany. But I mean, I, I played a lot in Holland and, and Belgium. Uh, especially, and uh, some in France, and uh, also got to play for a Dutch club, which was the mainstay of my income. And basically, I'd play about six weeks of tournaments, save money, and then go play satellites, because they were $25,000 tor- uh, satellites, which, you know, was, you know, the Masters had a bit more money, but effectively, it was like you know four thousand dollars a tournament, uh, and uh, and you unless you finished top three you, or four, you you couldn't even break even. But it was just yeah. to get yeah. your world ranking up, and uh, you know I did that for uh, a few years, and then I started to think to myself, well, can I really break into you know the the top two hundred, top hundred? Uh, and top hundred really in those days was only where you could make you know some really decent money because you could. There weren't very many challenges. You know, challenges only started to come into prominence in the sort of mid eighties where they start to have a lot of them. Um, so it was very very hard to make a, a living on the pro tour, but it was quite easy to make a living playing money tournaments uh, and playing for 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 clubs. So. In 1986, I decided to just play for money. So I didn't uh, worry about the ATP ranking anymore and just played for money because in my uh, my view, 
I didn't feel I was good enough to to make the top hundred. Um, you know, if I look back, if I'd maybe had some decent coaching and sorted a few things out, uh, uh, I might have had a chance. Uh, but I ha- I didn't, and uh, uh, so basically played for money. And then the Dutch club, the uh, the and Scavening, asked me to, if I would coach the first three teams and play for for the team, which I did uh, uh, for a year. And then the following year, they said, well, will you also coach the top two junior teams as well as the the top three teams and play for us? Uh, and it was more. <laughs> Not and, asking and, much of you, were they? And it was more money. <laughs> It was more money, so I said yes to that, and and then one of the girls on on the team that I played for was a very talented young lady uh, called Amy Van Buren, and her father asked me if I would coach her. She was only eighteen at the time, uh, as she was already you know world ranked, and and would I help her on the tour? So I. I started to do that as well. Meantime, uh, in the winter, because the, the, the Metzalites didn't have any indoor courts, so they would actually pay me a, reta- a retainer over the winter just so I'd come back in the summer. Uh, uh, my wife is English, so we lived uh, in Bramhall near Manchester. And uh, uh, the, <laughs> this is a very long time ago and in the late 80s, they had something called the Mortgage Corporation League in the UK, which uh, was pretty much like team tennis in the States, world team tennis. And it was fabulous for two years. It was good money. Uh, there there were some very good players who played. And I captain, captained the, the Manchester team. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. And, and so all winter, I'd... I'd I'd play for the team and do a little bit of coaching, travel with Amy somewhat. And, uh, and then I got asked if I'd help some of the best juniors in, and, and I started doing that. And the, the Metzalites wanted to have indoor courts, but they didn't get planning permission. So I was then asked to be head coach of an indoor center called Matchpoint, one of the first in Britain. Uh, and, and I said, well, yeah, I'm going to do that because working kind of half a year in Holland is as fantastic as it was, uh, there was no future without the indoor courts. And so, uh, I, I stopped playing for, for them and, uh, uh, became head coach of the Matchpoint Tennis Center whilst doing some, you know, travel with, uh, Amy. And by that time, Another Dutch girl that she played doubles with, Gabby Kuringel, and they made top 100 doubles together, uh, joined us. And so I was always mixing sort of, uh, coaching top juniors with the pro, with the pros. And, uh, and the match point program also revamped and from sort of 30 kids a week coming through that program. Uh, eventually, we had 400 kids a week coming through that program, which wow. was a lot. Uh, but it, it was quite a lot of <laughs> quite a lot of work. <laughs> uh, and so, I started a, a, a full time uh, squad at Matchpoint 
of which the two pro girls were, and some of the better kids who decided to go pro um, joined that squad of players, and they started doing pretty well. Nick Baglin won, uh, lost in the finals and nationals to Tim Henman, and uh, and the LTA obviously got interested in in the work I was doing. So they asked me to do some travel with some of the teams. So it was a really good mix. And, uh, and slowly but surely, uh, eventually in 1996, the LTA employed me to, to travel with some of the, the best male players, which included Andrew Richardson, who made third round of Wimbledon, uh, played Davis Cup and Jamie Delgado, who's now obviously with Andy, was one of the players. Uh, uh, Nick Gould, uh, then, uh, after that came Miles McLagan, who also was with Andy. And, uh, and, uh, after that was, uh, Barry Cowan, Arvin Palmer, and, and Martin Lee. Wow. So, so I think you, you could probably say by default then that you've sort of coached Andy Murray. You know, well, you've coached uh, two of his coaches. Uh, well, actually, actually three because uh, his physical trainer in the early years who, who, who mentored uh, um, uh, Matt Little was Jez Green. And Jez okay, Green, well course, yeah. that's it. Oh, okay. I yeah. would definitely, so, definitely be putting that in my CV, David. <laughs> so, Jez, Jez, I coached Jez as a junior, uh, and uh, he won't mind me saying this, but he was a very lazy boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he, he went to Loughborough, and he got into uh, kickboxing and a lot of physical stuff and he, mm. he, he, he graduated from Loughborough and came back to Manchester and uh, said, Dave, you know, I want to train pro players and, uh, uh, you know, so can I help you with the, the guys you're working with and stuff? And uh, I said, yeah, that'd be great, but it's, <laughs> you're not going to get paid very much. Uh, but he joined me. And I would say together we pioneered, uh, training blocks in, in, in tennis because in the, in the late nineties, uh, we decided and, uh, that we would take guys and <laughs> bless, uh, uh, Marty Harvin and Barry, uh, and, and, uh, even before that, uh, Andrew Richardson and Miles, but we, we, we didn't do such long training blocks, but we decided with these guys that, We'd take uh, six weeks and really revamp their bodies and, and take them to another level. And so they had literally <laughs> a month without hitting a tennis ball, just training twice a day. I mean, they got in phenomenal shape. Uh, but we did learn from that is that when they first went back on the tour, the, the first two tournaments, they, they just couldn't play. <laughs> and uh but later <laughs> too worn out <laughs> yeah no but also they had just hadn't they just lost the feel for the tennis ball and stuff so they had to really get back into it so you know after that the next year we modified and we did two weeks of no tennis and then uh then two weeks of 50 50 uh and then sort of uh uh that was about as long as the off season as they could have uh, which worked a lot better. Uh, but, you know, after that, 
Uh, and again, there were not many people traveling around uh, with a physical trainer as well as a coach. And I think uh, it, it really changed the perception in those days of, of, of the work ethic of British players. Um, so I think we were pioneers of, of that sort of model of, of having training blocks. Everybody does it now. Uh, but nobody was doing it uh, before Jez and I. Uh, and then Jez and I, uh, and especially Jez, got very interested in movement patterns. And we'd, you know, because I'd say, Jez, just don't like the way, you know, you know, Arvin's moving to his forehand or something. I think it can be better. And and he started, I mean, in those days it was quite hard because you didn't have, you know, YouTube and all of that. You had to just literally get video footage of some of the best players and, and watch the footwork patterns and stuff. And, 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 uh, you know, we started to analyze footwork patterns and start to put some things right with the guys. Uh, so, you know, so Jez and I really worked together, uh, for, you know, 11 years. Uh, and then I, <clears throat> when I left the LTA, we, we started the Monte Carlo Touring Academy which to this day I still believe is the best model for, for players to, to progress. So, but we had a big sponsor, uh, for, for a couple of years. Unfortunately, the crash in 2008 came and, and, uh, took care of that. But we based out of the Monte Carlo Country Club, which is not bad. Uh, and it was myself, Jez, and, uh, two other coaches, Anthony Hampson, very good, who worked with me in Leeds. And, uh, Igor Tomasevich from Serbia. Uh, and he brought, uh, Ilya Vucic to us and, uh, Anna Veselinovic, two very, very good players. Uh, Anna won a challenger at the age of 18. And Ilya was a top 30 junior by the, yeah, after being with us for a year, was a top 30 junior. Well, Henry Continen joined us. He was about 230 in the world as a junior. Uh, by the end of that, you know, uh, he, had a, he he made finals at junior Wimbledon and uh, obviously doubles won the French Open, but unfortunately that coincided also with the time that we lost our sponsor, so we weren't able to sponsor these guys anymore, and uh, uh, Henry was able to uh, get a, a Nokia sponsorship in those days, which would provide him with a private coach. Uh, there there were talks with his dad about. Uh, uh, me being that person. Uh, but the, the interesting thing about that was, uh, they looked at the Andy Murray model and, uh, Miles was coaching Andy at the time and they felt that, uh, he needed somebody younger who could hit with him and, and stuff. So, uh, they, they went a different route. But, uh, uh, and of course, right at the end of the sponsorship stuff, uh, uh, Andy called, uh, Jez or, and, uh, and asked him to do work with him, which of course was an opportunity that, uh, Jez had to take. So, you know, Jez left, well, we, we both left the Monte, Monte Carlo Academy. I kept it going for a while, uh, under the name of Monte Carlo Academy, but basically it was just players paying for me to coach them. Uh, under that name, but I kept the name going for a while and, 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 and eventually partnered with Bath University with the idea that maybe I could land another 
big sponsor, but uh, that's not easy to do. Uh, no, no. So, yeah. So uh, then, you know, it was uh, Monte Carlo Academy t- Team Bath. And uh, that became a, a new adventure for me, which was uh, really getting to grips with uh, the Bath Academy and, and make it one of the the best in the country, which uh, we definitely were able to do. So uh, and I'm very grateful to Barry Scholar having the vision to bring me in there as a, as a senior coach to, to really mentor the younger coaches there and, and, and turn that program into something quite special. Wow, that's, that's amazing. I mean, it sounds like you've got, you've got so much advice to pass down to mm. coaches and players alike. So how did, just to, to move on to um, what you're doing currently, how did you end up coaching Liam? And what were your first impressions of him as an athlete? Ah, uh-huh. great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I've known Liam since he was probably three years old. Oh wow. So, oh wow. Because okay. <laughs> okay. His dad would bring his older sister Naomi and Emma to play and he was a member of Matchpoint uh tennis club which was the indoor center. Mm-hmm. So I used to see these I mean, you know, Naomi was only probably about uh 8 or 9 and Simon would bring them down to the club and and have to bribe them to go on court and play. Uh, uh, and, and Simon's a, a real tennis uh, enthusiast. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, the two, Callum and, and, and Liam, were traps in the club behind them. So mm. they, they were around and they used to hang out uh, a bit with my, with my wife in the pro shop, which she ran. And uh, so, yeah, I've known Liam for a long time. And then when I ran the, the National Academy for, for the LTA, first at Bolton, uh, and, and then they shut that down and, and relocated me to Leeds, which is why I live here now. Um, uh, Naomi was uh, my wildcard pick for Leeds. So... Because she had the one hand backhand, there was a lot of resistance to to taking her on, but I knew she could be a really good player. So Naomi came to Leeds, and uh, uh, Simon then obviously focused on Liam, but he, he brought Liam up a couple of times for me to uh, do some stuff with in in, in Leeds, uh, but then I I barely saw Liam. And then Liam went and joined, uh, uh, obviously made Wimbledon junior final and was doing very well. And, and Mark Hilton, uh, Simon brought Mark Hilton on to, to, to travel with him and help out. Uh, so I didn't really didn't see Liam for, for a number of years. Um, uh, and he, he, he joined, uh, the LTA program. And then I was with, the, some of the Bath kids, uh, Scott Clayton and Toby Martin and Richard Gabb, and they were playing Futures in in uh, in the States, and uh, I I I did some of that trip with them, and Liam was starting to do really well in those Futures, 
and then we went to Canada and uh, I'm trying to think which tournament in Canada uh, but I'd watched him play a final against Fratangelo in in Illinois Decatur Illinois and then uh, um, uh, we were I think it was Winnipeg uh, and uh, he came on to practice after uh, after I was with Marcus Daniel as well then uh, and Marcus was part of that group and uh, and we just started talking again and uh, yeah I stood watching a bit and that and then the next morning he joined me for breakfast and we just started talking about his tennis and I said you know what are you doing on futures you know if you can yeah. just get a little bit more width with your forehand and 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 do a couple of things differently uh you should be playing challenges so we started talking and then uh, he won his first round and uh and he asked me if uh if I just have a look at his at his forehand and talk more about his game so I just did a session with him and uh it went really well and uh, uh, I asked him to be a lot more aggressive on, on return of serve, especially on second serve, standing a lot closer. Anyway, uh, I had to leave. I can't remember why, but I had to leave uh, after, after his second round. And I can't, he beat, he beat, uh, uh, I'll picture the guy. Can't remember the name, but a, a good player, you know, which would normally have been very difficult for him. Pretty easy. I think like five and one. I remember I was, I was practicing, I think it was with Marcus. And I came and it was about four all or five all and, and he was returning his second serve and I said, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Stand in. <laughs> and then, and then he won like five and one, I think after that. Uh, so he ended up winning the tournament, which was, I think it was his first 15K win. Uh, not, uh, he had won 10Ks already. Um, and then when he came back, he, he called me and said, uh, I'd like you to work with me together with Mark Hilton, uh, who, who was working with him at the time as well. Um, and uh, I agreed to that. And at that time, he was about 3.30 in the world. And this was August. Yeah, August. And by, you know, by January, he was like 160, 154 in the world. So it went very, very fast. But I moved him immediately to challenges. And he qualified and won a round of the first challenge he played in. Lost to... Janep, no, he beat Janepri and then lost to um, uh, Schmiechek. Uh, and then he had a he he almost qualified for his next one, uh, but he was pretty tired, I think. Then and then uh, he made final in uh, in Charlottesville, uh, and then he made semi-finals in Knoxville, and so there was a very rapid transformation there. Obviously, you're doing something right with him then. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so uh, we did briefly 
part company, uh, sort of uh, April time the following year. Uh, and then, uh, you know, he, he came back about 18 months later and he dropped to about 400 again. And then we've been together ever since. So it's been a long journey. He, he knew yeah. it was you. He knew exactly it was you right. that was getting, yeah. him, getting him both places. <laughs> so that back. means you, you've been with Liam for a while. You've known him for a long time. You know his style of play. So that leads me to the burning question. Is he going to be a great doubles partner for Andy Murray? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, the question is, is Andy going to be a great doubles partner for him? Oh, <laughs> That's what I'm not yes, right. I like it, I like it. Correct, <laughs> yes, quite right, quite right. We knew the outcome of this evening's match. You know, to, to people who are listening, we're having this discussion before Liam and Andy actually go on court. Yeah. Um, so we could be... Mm. But, you know, we've got we've got a 50-50 chance of being right or wrong yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> David, I'd, I'd be really keen to get your thoughts ahead of um, their, their partnership this evening. Um, well, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously, uh, Andy certainly knows how to play doubles. Liam has great doubles pedigree, having, you know, won two slams, maybe, and the finals of another. Uh, um, and... Uh, you know, even when he has had had the chance to play doubles in 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 pro, uh, you know, he's 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 won rounds at Wimbledon, so you know he knows his way around the doubles court very well as well. It's uh, I think it's I mean it's obviously the first time they're playing together, so they you know it it, uh, it there'll be a little bit of learning, and hopefully they can you know adjust very quickly. And I mean they get on well as people. So, you know, yeah. they they uh they certainly can uh, give it to each other as well. The banter is quite <laughs> quite severe. Uh but they do get on as people. So, I think the atmosphere between them on court is which is always important is going to be uh uh really good. I think they'll they'll have fun together and and I think that will make them dangerous alone because they know how to play tennis. Um uh, the, it's a well-established team. They're playing Purcell and uh, um, Saville, and obviously uh, Liam knows Saville very well from juniors. Obviously, having lost him in the Wimbledon junior final, um, so there's you know there's going to be no fear there of these guys. Uh, so it's it's one of these things. If if they do get through that first match, I think they'll be quite dangerous. Uh, yeah, because. Uh, you know, it's doubles is a lot about momentum and and feeling good together mm-hmm. and and uh, you know obviously the other two know each other very well and are very well established so are not going to be easy to to beat. No. But you know, you know Andy obviously brings something special to the court that you know these guys won't have seen very often, and uh, and uh, you know I think Liam will will you know uh not have any fear there at all either so he'll uh you know if he he is playing well so uh fingers crossed that they can they can do something uh because you know uh the one thing about singles players that doubles players struggle with is pace and and also return a serve how well 
singles players return serve. Uh, yeah. and, and so they will be bringing that to the table. So I think if they, if they, if they can gel fairly quickly, uh, it could be very interesting. And we're all looking forward to it. I'm so, yeah. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm very excited about it. I'm very, very excited about it. Um, yes. Yeah, so speaking of doubles, we have a great listener who enjoys watching, um, and mostly, uh, Artem Sitak and Marcus Daniel okay. play. Um, what is Artem and, uh, Marcus like? So what is Artem and Marcus like? Well, uh, Artem, uh, is, uh, a very, very good athlete. Well, so is Marcus. Different kinds of athlete though. You know, Artem is, is, is quite an aggressive athlete. He's, uh, uh, he, he gets quite close to the net and, uh, can, you know, when, when Artem buries a volley, it's not coming back. I mean, he really does nail his volleys. Um, he's got a great backhand return, uh, forehand, uh, uh, has its moments where it can, uh, go a little bit. Uh, and, and Marcus again is, is, is a very good returner. Um, he also volleys very, very well and, you know, won several tour events. Uh, he's playing with Oswald now, uh, and they beat Shapovalov and, uh, Bupak. Bopana, first round, four and four, and, and they've been having a good year, made quarters of Australia. So, I mean, uh, you know, Marcus is, is, I still think, got a lot more to come in his doubles. Uh, Artem's in a tough place right now because his ranking's dropped, so he's having to go back mm-hmm. to challenges to try and uh, get his ranking back up there. And, you know, with all the COVID uh uh, people not dropping as many points as they were. It's, it's a really tough time to try and rise up the rankings. Uh, but he's a, a he's a very good professional Artem, so uh, I, I, I think he will fight his way back there. Good to hear. Um, and, of course, we're obviously all big fans of Liam here at Murray Musings HQ mm-hmm. um, and absolutely love a social media uh, <laughs> update of his banter with and pranks on Andy. <laughs> So tell us, David, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you encourage this, and do you have a personal favorite? And has Liam ever managed to embarrass himself in the process? Uh, 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 Liam's embarrassed himself plenty in the process. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I think uh, I think the the biggest embarrassment was the Battle of the Brits, the the first one. When he had to play Andy uh-huh. first round, and uh, uh-huh. really talked it up and got absolutely battered. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, but you know, jokes aside, uh, that first battle of the Brits uh, w- was a good turning point because uh, he and I had a very very candid, strong conversation after that tournament. Uh, well, in the middle of it, before he played Carl Edmund, and uh, and Andy also gave him a couple of home truths uh, uh, during that tournament, and I think the combination of both discussions uh, really, uh, I mean, I think I think Liam was going through a real good maturing process anyway, and and I think lockdown had given him some good perspective. Uh, I know he did some private coaching during that time. Um, and, 
and that uh, coming out of lockdown and and he realized that it's actually <laughs> not as easy to make a living coaching tennis and that maybe he should really uh, uh, you know it, it, it's if you play well it's a lot easier to make money and it's easier not in terms of the work and 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 stuff you got to do but easier in terms of the amount of money you can make quite quickly if you play good tennis and and I think that helped uh together with the two conversations uh I think really definitely uh helped his off court focus on what he needed to do and uh and from that point uh I've seen a a steady improvement uh in 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 every area which explains why he's you know his results have been getting better and better and better yeah steadily steadily better Good to hear. that is fantastic um i mean that just something you touched on briefly there actually kind of leads us on to like one of our last few questions for you um in terms of andy and liam's relationship obviously we've we've chatted a fair bit about that and how how kind of close they are and how uh some of their jokes on social mm. media together are, are, are classic and very memorable mm. for for us as fans um but yeah like how how often how, how often do you um do you kind of uh is it like does andy kind of offer that kind of advice to to liam and like what does he is is that like an often like something that happens quite often or uh what's, uh, what's kind yeah of i mean i think there? i i what i what i really like about the relationship is it's very light-hearted uh mm -hmm. most of the time uh yeah. but um you know periodically andy will send him a private message just with a an insight or something like that and uh and uh that that definitely helps um you know we don't always agree with the insight but uh, most of the time i'd say yeah or it it reinforces something that that i've said which is really really helpful um so yeah i think uh it's 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 really healthy because you know in in public it's it's very you know light-hearted but yeah, quite uh quite severe at time but it's a, a fun severe <laughs> uh, uh, uh that you know and and even privately at times it, it can get because uh, they have a group chat with you know the all the, the british players and I'd stuff love, i'd love, love to, to see it and and so there's a lot that flies around in there and, and it's and it's very yeah. very enjoyable but there is the the odd serious side which uh which is which is great as well um yeah. and i think I think the camaraderie now between the, 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 the top British guys is, is really fantastic. And I think it, it helps them all yeah. because they, they yeah. really are, you know, whilst they, they, they take the piss, they also are encouraging each other and, and, and really want everybody to come through and, and do as well as they can because, you know, on tour, it's a lot more fun if there's more Brits about as well. Absolutely. Mm, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of advice and motivation, mm -hmm. I was listening to one of your Instagram videos. Uh, so to quote you, you said, you know, at the bottom of the mountain and a lot of the time you think that you're getting near the top. 
And when you think there, uh, when you uh, get there, you realize, wow, there's still a lot of mountain to climb. But don't focus on how much you have to climb. Focus on what you've got to do now. And another person famously stated, there's always going to be another mountain. I'm always going to want to make it move. Always going to be an uphill battle. Sometimes I'm going to have to lose. Ain't about how fast I get there. Ain't about what's waiting on the other side. It's the climb. This is a Miley Cyrus uh, quote, a lyric. So my question is, do you use Miley Cyrus song lyrics to get through to Liam? I mean... I, I think you're I would, going to from now on. I would, I would love to say that I listened to Miley Cyrus that closely uh, before, uh, but I haven't. <laughs> so yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a fabulous coincidence. And uh, possibly she read my book, Locker Room Power, before she wrote that song. I'm just, I'm just disappointed that you didn't sing that there. Yeah, I was expecting Yeah, I just, yeah. I couldn't <laughs> sing it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so David, oh, um, I, uh, I'd be keen to know what mm. is next for Liam in 2021, mm-hmm. and two very serious questions. Number one, do you think his schedule could uh, fit in an hour on Murray Musings? And number two, <laughs> can you get me into that WhatsApp group chat, please? Uh, <laughs> the, the, the group chat is a definite no-no. I'm not even allowed on that. <laughs> don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and uh, uh, sorry, the other question is the schedule and... Uh, Could he fit in an hour to join us on Murray Musings? Uh, I I think he could actually. I will speak to oh, him. I'm I'm <sighs> travelling to Lyon tomorrow, uh, and hopefully I have to wait for him there. Uh, I might have to fingers crossed. I might have to move over across to Geneva right now. I don't know which one he'll get into. Uh, I'm guessing mm-hmm. Lyon. So. Uh, but I hope I have to wait uh, a number of days for him to get there. Thank but I, I promise you guys, I will speak to him about it and see if I can get him on for you. That would be great. Thank you so much. Um, uh, one final question for you. We know the match is starting soon. I don't yeah, know. Like, when I is the match them, start? They're on court now. They've just okay. walked out. They've, they've not last... even started warming up yet, but yeah, they've just walked right. out. That's fine. Last yeah. question. Last question for you, David. Um, what we ask all their guests this as well when uh, right right at the end the final question um what's andy murray got left to achieve in his career what do you think he's got left we do want honest answers as well like we always make the joke uh, you know like uh, uh, but we do want honesty we do want honesty what do you think andy can still achieve in the game okay well that's a different question what has he got left to achieve i would say mm-hmm. uh i mean he's he's got nothing left to achieve as a player in terms of you know, what he's accomplished, uh, you know, he's, his record is, I mean, you know, two Olympic golds and three slams says, you know, and, and several finals, you know, he, 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 he's a great player and, and will go down in history, you know, as our greatest players thus far. Um, so, but what can he achieve? I mean, really and truthfully, I think uh, uh, it, well, it, totally comes down to what his body can handle. I mean, if he, if he can get his body back to, you know, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, 95% of what it 
what it was. Uh, the tennis is not going to be an issue. Uh, he knows, he knows how to play great tennis. So, you know, the, the, the big thing is movement. Um, can he move well enough to, to trouble the big boys again and beat them? Uh, I honestly don't know the answer. I mean, I'd say when I saw him play against Dan, uh, uh, in the off season in December, it started to look like it was really possible. I, I really thought he was moving really well and, uh, and hitting the ball great. And, and if he can get back to that level initially and his body can, I mean, it's just the back to back match matches, the back to back tournaments. Can his body just handle it? Uh, that's, that's the big key. Uh, but if his body, can get robust enough to actually play and, 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 you know, cause right now it's stop, start, stop, start. And, and he needs to get on a run of, you know, six, seven, eight months of being able to play in order to get his ranking back up and confidence and all of that. Uh, but I mean, when you've got great players, uh, you know, you'll see it over and over again. You know, you know, Fed can be out a year and come back and, as long as the body's fine, they can, you know, Del Potro, the same thing as the body's fine. They, they find their game and they know how to, they know how to play at the highest level. So mentally they know how to handle it. So, I mean, I just hope that, that, you know, if the tennis gods are up there and give him another 18 months or two years of playing, you know, pain free and, and, and moving to a high quality, then, you know, then he's then he's going to be a top player again. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's probably a very good point to uh, to wrap up this episode with. Hopefully, hopefully Andy can come back, but more importantly, hopefully, uh, hopefully Andy and Liam uh, can can crack on this week. Uh, yeah. we better let you you get away, David. We'll let yeah. you get away to watch to watch your player. Uh, thank you so much for coming it's for coming on to Murray Music. Thank Fantastic you, David. So Speaking much, to you, David. David. Thank you yeah. so much. And the door is always open for a return. Thank you, and uh, <laughs> uh, enjoy the match. And you know, I think. Uh, it's uh it's great to have three enthusiasts who who uh have got smiles on their faces and <laughs> and you know uh adhere to rule number six i don't know if you've ever heard what rule number six is no, no uh, rule number six is never take yourself too seriously that's yes. exactly Love it, it. Yeah. that's exactly that summarizes <laughs> murray musings doesn't it uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to yet another episode of Murray Musings. Um, uh, I've been Scott. That uh, she's been Claire. He's been Peter, and that's been David. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you. Goodbye. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>